Up until the 1960s, formal apprenticeships were common in the UK as 21st century manufacturing boomed. They took a bit of a dive in the following few decades, but since the 90s they've seen a bit of a resurgence when the government launched official apprenticeship schemes to boost the technical skills of the population. These still tended to be in the manual trades, but since 2015, degree apprenticeships were launched, allowing students to work whilst getting a fully accredited degree at a university. And now they're starting to infiltrate healthcare professions. Nursing degree apprenticeships have been going since 2017, a version for doctors could be just around the corner, and now meetings are taking place, albeit behind closed doors, to introduce degree apprenticeships for pharmacy. But that move has split opinion. The apprenticeship proposal is a device, in our view, that's designed to give some employers greater control over the retention of their pharmacists, but it is potentially hugely disadvantageous to those individuals. Because the supply of apprenticeship places is smaller than the demand, the employers can be very fussy about who they take on. So yeah, it, it's a misnomer that people think sort of working class people do apprenticeships and middle class people go to university. It's much more complex than that. I'm Corinne Burns, a reporter at the Pharmaceutical Journal, and you're listening to the PJ Pod. In this episode, we want to analyse the evidence for and against pharmacy degree apprenticeships. Proposals for a pharmacy degree apprenticeship mean that would-be pharmacists could train on the job and study, rather than have to undertake what can be an expensive full-time degree. Some have said that this would lead to a two-tier profession, but others think it could open up the profession to a wider demographic and help alleviate the current shortage of pharmacists in some sectors. We will also offer an opportunity guarantee so that every young person has the chance of an apprenticeship or an in-work placement so that they maintain the skills and confidence they need to find the job that is right for them. That was Prime Minister Boris Johnson setting out his government's plans to radically expand access to apprenticeships as part of his agenda to build back better after the pandemic. The recent budget committed to funding of £2.7 billion by 2025 to support the further expansion of apprenticeships in England. And for large companies such as the Pharmacy Multiples, it really is a bit of a no-brainer. All UK employers with a pay bill of over £3 million have to pay a levy that amounts to 0.5% of their total annual pay bill. They only get some of this apprenticeship levy back if they start providing placements themselves. So why wouldn't you? However, the main advantage for students of a degree apprenticeship, especially in England and Wales, is obvious. You will graduate with a degree, but without a large debt around your neck, which certainly sounds like a beguiling prospect when you consider that the average student now graduates owing around 50k. But even that has not convinced some critics that a degree apprenticeship should be introduced to train future pharmacists. We really believe it's based on a, on a fantasy that the community pharmacy retailing workplace is an appropriate place for a degree level health professional qualification to, to be achieved. We strongly believe that it is absolutely not. That's Mark Koziol, chair of the Pharmacists Defence Association, a trade union that has spoken out quite vociferously against the proposal in the past. 
Mark says the PDA fear that degree apprenticeships will result in the production of what he calls B-division pharmacists, with those undergoing these programmes finding themselves at a huge disadvantage in the workplace. These pharmacists will find it quite difficult to work in in other areas of practice. I mean, if you look at some of the, the associated issues, community pharmacy, especially in England, um, has some real challenges. You know, you've got loads of pharmacies closing. You've got many, many more who are struggling financially because of the cuts. And they're re reacting to this by cutting staffing numbers, staffing cover. Why on earth would you want to put a young person into that kind of an uncertain um, environment? Mark worries that the short-term benefits of a degree apprenticeship might not outweigh what he sees as the long-term effects on their career. As a defence association, we've got literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of experiences of supporting the current pre-regis um, through their pre-reg uh, year. We've been doing this for many, many years. We have a, a partnership with pharmacist support as well. And even with the benefit of four years university education, they come out as M-Farms, before they arrive in the workplace, already under their belt, we know how many of them we're having to help through a range of workplace-related issues. And many of them suffer enormously and unnecessarily with stress, others become mentally ill, some end up with five years of their lives completely wasted. They're unable to navigate the difficult community pharmacy realities, and it's mainly the problems are in community pharmacy. So we do have some people who argue it may save some debt, this new idea, but at what price? We don't think that that price is, is acceptable. But what about the claims of a shortage of pharmacists in the UK? Community pharmacy employers, hospital trusts and even some primary care networks in some parts of England report rising vacancies and difficulty recruiting. Surely another route into the profession would help? One issue that we have is instead of many of them seeing this as an opportunity to perhaps invest far more in other staff, say shop assistants, chemist assistants, dispensers or even pharmacy technicians, someone has come up with a flawed proposal for degree qualified pharmacists, an area in which currently employers really, really struggle to retain their pharmacists because frankly, they are unprepared to pay either the going rates of pay or more importantly, to deliver the requisite safe and appropriate working conditions and environment. So you take a look at what's going on in, in community pharmacists, pharmacies, pharmacists are fleeing to the GP practice sector in very large numbers. Mark's view is that the amount that employers are paying in apprenticeship levies could be the motivating factor, rather than the welfare of trainees or patients. It should be about ensuring that young people are given the necessary skills to be able to properly look after patients. But we have a concern that we may have some different motivations. There are those who want to fix for their recruitment and retention problems. There are those who are in business to support training initiatives. Um, you've got those who've paid millions of pounds into the apprenticeship levy who want to try and get their money back in some way, shape or form. And then you've got others who stand to do financially well out of it. And we're concerned that the actual real interests of the young people who are going to be going into this are not at the heart or at the core of this service, nor, frankly, are the interests of the uh, patients. I asked Mark if there was any way he could be persuaded to support the proposals. He cited the Welsh model for foundation training, where all trainees are employees of the NHS rather than being employed by private companies. If our primary concerns could be dealt with, 
if the culture of the training provider was healthcare as opposed to profit orientated, you know, if the learning environment was properly resourced, if the successful trainee was fully interchangeable in, in other sectors of practice, if the support infrastructure was of the right calibre, I mean, just look at the results now of the pre-reg exam between community and hospital. They are worlds apart. Look how GPs are trained now. Five years in university, then three years on the rotation between a teaching hospital and a teaching GP practice. So there they work in those teaching practices alongside motivated peers. They mingle amongst experienced and well-prepared trainers and supervisors in settings that are designed for training purposes. They're given the protected time to study in the workplace. They're not disciplined for trying to put their training first. Where are the community pharmacy environments that resemble this, especially in the land of the multiples? We don't believe that they exist. And it is those multiples, Boots, Lloyds and others, alongside four NHS trusts, that dominate the trailblazer group that is tasked with coming up with the plans for a pharmacy degree apprenticeship in England. It's worth pointing out that there are no current plans to introduce a pharmacy degree apprenticeship in Wales or Scotland. I wanted to give the Trailblazer Group the opportunity to present the other side of the argument to the PDA, and I tried several times to get a representative of the group to speak to me. We really wanted to hear the employee's perspective, but unfortunately they wouldn't put anyone up to speak to us. And this seems to be part of a pattern for the Trailblazer Group. The meetings aren't open to observers, minutes aren't published, and we often don't even find out they've met until after the event. It's perhaps this secretive element to the development of these plans that is feeding suspicion about the group's intentions. Still, to get an impartial view on how degree apprenticeships are working, I spoke to the think tank, the Higher Education Policy Institute. This is its director, Nick Hillman. I don't think a degree apprenticeship would have been right for me when I was 18, um, but it is right for some people. You know, people who are very fearful of debt, people who are a little bit bored of spending all their time in education by the time they leave school, um, you know, like the fact that they can, can, can get more education and training alongside a job, you know, get, get stuck in straight away. Older people often like degree apprenticeships because they've often had time in the labour market already and they don't want to go back and have a full-time university experience that an 18-year-old might want. So, so I think the only answer to that is they're really good for some people and not right for others. Nick said that whilst there are currently very few people going into a degree apprenticeship straight from school, fewer than 3,000 a year, he thinks they could appeal to quite a few more people. Around 60% of women go to higher education before the age of 30. Only 45% of men do. So there's a massive gap here. And, and one thing that a big expansion of apprenticeships might do even though women uh, are more likely to do some apprenticeships uh, than men, uh, might do is actually even up those some of those gender numbers a bit. If there's if there was a big growth in the number of um, degree level apprenticeships, you know, so so boys, maybe I'm caricaturing a bit, but I used to be a teacher and I've taught in boys' schools and I've taught in girls' schools and I've taught in mixed schools. Um, boys sometimes are just keener to leave their education behind at 18. And, you know, the thing about an apprenticeship is you're not actually leaving your education behind, but you are getting a job at the same time and you're combining the two and it feels like you're, feels like you're getting, you know, you're, you're, you're getting into the labour market quickly. As we said before, the debt associated with university degrees is a significant factor here. 
there is some evidence, even though, as you say, a lot of apprenticeships at the moment are sewn up by middle-class people, there is some evidence that um, people from tougher backgrounds are more debt-averse. So they really don't like the idea of going to university for a traditional degree and getting into £50,000 worth of debt. Uh, and doing a degree-level apprenticeship allows you to get a degree without taking on £50,000 worth of debt. So emphasising that element, uh, you know, expanding the number of places and emphasising the debt-free element might appeal to some people, particularly if they come from families where debt is seen as something, you know, really unacceptable. That said, the Higher Education Policy Institute's own research shows degree apprenticeships are still pretty middle class. When something is very, very, very tightly constrained, the middle classes, and I, I, I count myself as middle class, so I'm not, you know, the, the middle classes always always sew it up. You know, they, they get there first. They know they have better access to better information and advice. They've got better exam grades. And because the supply of apprenticeship places is smaller than the demand, the employers can be very fussy about who they take on. So they're going to take on the people with the higher grades and the, and, the, and, the, and the ones with maybe a bit more social capital who maybe, you know, seem a bit more more enthusiastic because they, they know the right thing to say when they, you know, when those uh, when they first get in touch. So. So, yeah, it, it's a misnomer that pe- the people think sort of working class people do apprenticeships and middle class people go to university. It's much more complex than that. So maybe that's not an argument in favour of them then that this would help social mobility or if it isn't, how could we fix that? Yeah, well, one way to fix it is to have a lot more of them. So, so look, even those of us who are huge fans of the traditional university route, it's still the case today that only 50% of people uh, go to higher education before the age of 30. So, yeah, I think the crucial thing is to have better routes of all types, more good quality apprenticeships, more good quality university places. One of the other reasons we need it, by the way, is if we're only talking about young people... Uh, every one of the next 10 years, there's an increase in the number of 18-year-olds. And that, that's to do with what happened to the birth rate after the millennium. So we've got a growing number of young people. Speaking of young people, I wanted to hear what students and newly qualified pharmacists thought about this debate. So when you were applying, um, did the thought of tuition fees and the debt that you would graduate with, did that ever give you pause for thought or maybe make you think twice? I think it's a good idea because I believe that it will reduce the quality of learning and the degree, especially in terms of like chemical knowledge. That was Osayuki Igbinoba, a foundation year trainee pharmacist based in England. And um, since it's going to be based in one sector, mainly community pharmacy, the pharmacy won't get a broad experience. And I think some students might be taking advantage of and it might just be used as like a cover up to just help around the pharmacy, but they're not really going to be taught what they need to know properly. And also with M Farm degree, um, it's like high workload and content. So I don't know how they would balance like studying and also like working during the apprenticeship at the same time. And pharmacists also don't get enough recognition as it is. Um, a lot of people think just pharma- pharmacists just like dispense and put labels on boxes. So I feel like if there was an apprenticeship, people would just like MV pharmacists as even lower, when actually our roles are like really important. And Osayuki's views were echoed by Vivian Yu, a foundation trainee pharmacist in Scotland. We are obviously have the benefit of having free tuition fees um, for Scottish students, so I don't think I can fairly say if we, we should kind of implement it in Scotland. Um, but I think at the moment I would prefer 
the MPharm degree to have more placements rather than changing the degree completely into apprenticeship style. More broadly, there were mixed views on whether tuition fees were a significant negative factor in the decision whether or not to undertake a pharmacy degree. Here's Asayuki again. No, I didn't think about that as like a barrier because going to university would provide me like a good career and also enable me to help um, others and also give back to society. And to me, education is very important. The appeal is there that you come out with a degree and you won't have this debt looming over you. I do feel that would appeal to a lot of students. Um, so it did make me pause and think about it. Would I want to go for something and not have that debt? That was Adam Ismail, who's a pharmacy student at Huddersfield. He and Vivian were great supporters of the broad range of experience you get through the traditional pharmacy degree. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the current structure, it, it helps us to understand um, the variety of roles within pharmacy and um, how big the teams are that you work in. Um, so you could have a range from community where it might be quite small and you have to really know what your, what your staff skill sets are like and things like that. So it, you can really figure out where you'd, where you'd fit in. Like you often don't really have much pharmacy experience before you start the course. So if you've never experienced any of the other sectors, you don't know what you would like or or say if you didn't really didn't like community, you wouldn't know that there's maybe a, like another pathway that's out there for you because like pharmacy is obviously so diverse and there's so many career pathways you can go off to. So I think it might actually create almost like a divide between the pharmacy degrees and the apprenticeship pharmacy degrees. Aman Sedev, an early career pharmacist working in community, agreed. I think multi-sector experience is uh, vital because I know that in different phases during my university experience, um, part of me wanted to go into industry, for example. Um, part of me wanted to avoid hospital pharmacy, as it were. Um, part of me felt the comfort of community pharmacy in that I knew what it was like, but having the experience in different outlets, understanding what uh, the sort of dynamic is uh, between multidisciplinary teams that you can see more so in hospitals, um, the responsibility more so that you have in community pharmacy, the ingenuity and the completely different sectors that you can work in an industry. People could be almost engineered by companies to be the type of employer that they want and then not be able to sort of diversify, not be able to have a range of skills, a range of interests within pharmacy to go into different sectors should they want to. And I agree with that. Um, they know the type of pharmacists that they want. They know how they want them to work. They have their very own strict SOPs, for example. And if you were to go from the large store to an independent, there's a massive culture shock. If tuition fees weren't so unreasonable, then I don't think this conversation would be had in the first place. The fact that this conversation is even coming up in the first place is an institutional issue. However, I do think that there is some scope for it. If it were multi-sectoral and if there would be a shift in the sort of attitude of elitism within the pharmacy world, then that way we'd be able to implement it in a way where there's no stigma, in a way where these people would be respected as fellow healthcare professionals. So to invite more people to the party as it were, that'd be great. 
Pharmacy does need to think about how it can attract a wider range of potential students to the party, as a man so nicely put it. But the young people I spoke to didn't appear fully convinced by degree apprenticeships, and it seemed like the financial aspect wasn't a massive factor for them. Although I suppose there's a big selection bias in our sample here, because we only spoke to people who were, by definition, not put off from doing a pharmacy degree. But the young pharmacists we spoke to seemed to be more concerned with getting a full range of multi-sector experience, and how that training can determine the direction of people's careers. Of course, it's still early days. The Trailblazer Group's proposal is still in the development stage, and so we've not yet seen any pharmacy employees' plans detailing exactly how they would go about training their apprentices. Any proposals would still have to be approved by the Institute for Apprenticeships and Technical Education for funding. So we're just going to have to wait and see how this unfolds later this year. But what is clear is that there are pretty strong arguments for and against these proposals, and it's quite unhelpful to have such important discussions going on behind closed doors. It would be better to have this debate out in the open with the wider pharmacy profession. That would give it the best chance of being properly embedded as a legitimate route into the sector. And in that vein, we'd like to hear your thoughts on pharmacy apprenticeships, or any other bright ideas for solving the pharmacist shortage. So do get in touch on Twitter with the hashtag PJPod. Anyway, that's it for this episode. Um, wishing you all a very happy new year. I'm Corinne Burns. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the PJ Pod, brought to you by the team behind the Pharmaceutical Journal. We've got loads of great content in the pipeline for this year, with upcoming episodes planned on new COVID-19 treatments, green chemistry and pharmacogenomics. Make sure you don't miss any of these by hitting like or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was presented by Corinne Burns and was produced by Jeff Marsh. Thank you.